Good morning, church fam. My name is Terry. We're going to be reading this morning from the book of John, chapter 12. What a beautiful way to start our service this morning. That's one of my favorite sounds, hearing you all turn the pages as you find. Chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 9. Here we go. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. The triumphal entry. The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look. Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd, which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him because they heard he had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is our word of the Lord. That is so typical um, about life is that you find yourself doing things, responding to God, maybe the moving of the Holy Spirit And then later on you realize, oh, that's what was happening to me. Oh, that's what I was doing. Um, And that's what you actually see here in John 12. And John points out that it wasn't until after Jesus had been glorified that they began to put the pieces together. Which I I believe in some sense that actually means that we not only have permission, but it is probably by design that we respond to God in light of the information that we have in light of our life circumstances at the time, that we are in this, not just a journey of faith, but a journey of faith. Under God's divine direction, Paul says when he's preaching to the Athenians, Paul says that God selected the times and the dates and even the places where you live so that you might, everyone might, reach out and perhaps find him. The great power of the sovereignty and the intentionality of God and his purpose, which just means this, that you and I not only have permission, but it is by design to hear Jesus, to, to in a sense, right, see Jesus, and, and then to realize that I, I need to make a decision in light of what I've just seen and in light of what I've just heard, and, and then the days go by, and I need to rethink that decision I need to rethink the um, implications of that decision. 
I hope you never get tired of me saying this. I just think it's one of those things we just have to keep saying. There is no way that those two young people fully understood all of what Jesus says and all of what Jesus has done for them a few minutes ago. We're aware of that, right? That's not what they're saying. They're not saying, I I totally understand all that God is and all that I am and all that God wants for me. And after doing all of that, I'm good to go. No. No, they, they did what you may have done. You heard Jesus. You somehow saw what he has done for you, particularly what he has done for you. And you said, I'm in, all in, I'm in, all in. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And and then, by God's grace, we get to unpack that as it unfolds in front of us day by day by day by day. And I, I know that frustrates some of us, but you can't have youthquake all the time. And I'm not even sorry. As fun as that is, I think it would not be as fun if you lived there. No, it is a place where you go to experience God in a really, I believe, real and powerful way. And then you got to come down off the mountain, back to life. And life is not less, but it's different. And the same thing happens when you go away to college and you find yourself connected with a group of people, and I don't know, God just seemed alive back then. Do you remember college? Or maybe you had a different experience in college. (laughs) Uh, I've actually heard that that some people, I mean, I'm sure it's true, I've heard about it, that some people go to college and that's not where they actually went to find God or found him. It's where they lost him. It's where all of a sudden the, the deceitfulness of wealth And the worries of this life overwhelmed them. And the decision they made at Falls Creek or Sayokomo or wherever all of a sudden began to lose its luster. And and the voice of Jesus grew very, very faint. And the visions of Jesus grew dim. And that's life. Interestingly enough, that's John 12. John 12 is such an interesting text. So we're in John's gospel. For those of you that might be here first time or just haven't really been here a lot, we're, we're walking through John's gospel. It's going to take us a long time, and that's okay because we really like Jesus here. We're willing to, to kind of take him uh, piece by piece. Um, our goal, actually, is to literally be celebrating his resurrection in John's gospel, so John chapter 20, um, around Easter of next year. So that's our plan. There's some intentionality to what we're doing, but we want to make sure that we walk through all of it so that we don't pick and choose the teachings of Jesus that we like, that support our agenda, that support our cause, that support our perspective of what we believe people need or people want. No. Today is John chapter 12, verses 9 through 19, because last week was John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And we're trying to unpack Jesus. But, but not just here, but here and here and here and as we go. And that means lots of experiences happen to us. And, and we find ourselves kind of like in John chapter 12. 
which has people, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look, it's the king of Israel. And then you have, in the crowd, you know, we really need to kill this guy. Like, everything that he's doing is destructive. And, and not only that, but um, we probably should get rid of Lazarus too. Isn't it interesting that you have songs of praise and you have shouts of condemnation, shouts. You have murmurs of condemnation in the same text. And we really shouldn't be surprised because John's doing this a lot. John, in his own way, is demonstrating that what we actually see in the coming of Jesus is Jesus speaking and Jesus acting, people viewing him with their eyes and with their ears and then responding to him. And hearing and seeing is a big deal for John. Big deal. One of the ways you know, if you go to something else he's written, like the book of Revelation, you see it over and over and over again. I heard and then I saw. I looked and then I heard. Over and over and over again. But one of the favorite parts that actually show me how much this is part of John's ministry is actually found in a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. He wrote three. If you include Revelation, he wrote four. I want to begin our journey today in 1 John chapter 1. So if you don't mind turning there, 1 John chapter 1, it'll appear on the screen as well. In 1 John chapter 1, John is giving the, the, the preview to his book. He is, he is acknowledging, he is engaging the fact that there are people who have heard about Jesus, people who um, maybe have seen him, but most likely at the church at Ephesus, nobody would have ever seen him, but they'd heard stories about him. And, and what I love about this is that I think what John is really trying to do, and there are a lot of scholars that chase this rabbit in many different directions, but I think they could all agree in this, that John wants his audience to know that he's not there giving them some fancy ideas about principles of life. This isn't about some kind of a, a secret knowledge for us for today, just a knowledge that will somehow better them. This isn't like some, I get this intuitive way, I think this is how we should live. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is foundationally and fundamentally different. I think that's why it's so intrusive. I think that's why it's so demanding on me. Because it's real. If this was just what some people 2,000 years ago thought. There's lots of stuff that people thought. Intelligent stuff that people thought. Helpful stuff that people thought 2,000 years ago. Have you heard of Socrates? He's not a lightweight. But that's not what John wants people to know. John's not offering a way of life. Well, he is. But he's actually offering life. Not just a way of life life, that when you find it, is lived out in a particular way. Do we understand the difference? So he begins his letter like this, first four verses. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's his way of describing Jesus. He does that in his gospel, doesn't he? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very similar. That life, which was Jesus, was revealed. We've seen it, 
And we testify and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was also revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Do you hear the invitation? This isn't just for us. This isn't just something that happened that was seen and heard and now we move on. This this isn't like what Alexander the Great did as he conquered. This isn't some great achievement in history. No, this is the one who ordained everything stepping into history. It is fundamentally different. And we declare him to you, why? So that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Jesus, the Messiah. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. A joy that is complete, why? Because I have found life. And that's literally what this book is about. And not just 1 John or 2 John or 3 John or Revelation, but the gospel. John's first book that he wrote. Talking about the one that John both saw and heard. And, And then John did a lot of things. Made a lot of rash statements and later on went, I wish I could have that back. John who was growing in his understanding of and obedience to Jesus Christ. And and who spent a lot of time with uh, 11 others. And and I'm sure the conversations were were interesting. And, and, And the gospel accounts actually even record that sometimes they didn't understand and sometimes they were afraid to even say something to Jesus because they didn't understand and they didn't want him to know. Because that's a good thing to keep things from Jesus because then he won't find out. You don't have to keep your struggles, your fears, your doubts from him like he won't find out. I wonder if Christians, um, and and, and this is where I get in a little bit of trouble because this is me and I wonder if people are like me and sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't. But I, I grew up in a Christian home and, and then, like, everyone else around my family seemed like they weren't a Christian. It's called Canada. And I just remember thinking, because it was so obvious to me, and not that I didn't have doubts, but it just seemed so generally obvious to me that I couldn't understand why everybody wasn't a part of this. Especially when I was little. Like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of this? It's awesome. He loves us. He died for us. It's awesome. It's like this childlike faith that I would grow up out of and back into. I think I thought that if people could just see Jesus clearly, if they could just hear him, if they just knew, who would say no to him? Who would say no to Jesus? Who who would say no to eternal life? Who who would ever do that? At least that's what I thought. You got to be careful when you're a teacher asking rhetorical questions when a guy named Phil is in the room. 
Phil was a student of mine a number of years ago, and I like rhetorical questions. I don't know if you've noticed that in my preaching and teaching. My wife just gave me a look. Um, I like rhetorical questions in my marriage, and so it's interesting. In the middle of this class, I'm teaching, and I, I make this comment, trying to point out to, to young people, that uh, these people that are being trained for ministry, is that just don't be, uh, you need to be aware that most people are just going to go, yeah, we love Jesus, yeah, we love Jesus. I don't know if they understand fully what they mean, what he means, what he demands, but they're going to give it the, oh yeah, Jesus. Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a great guy. They're going to do that. And I kind of was making the comment, so I just made the quick statement. Like, who would ever say that they hate Jesus? Yes, Phil. The devil. What? I literally didn't realize I'd asked a rhetorical question. What, what do you mean the devil? What does that have to do with? Oh, you asked, um, Professor Johnson, you asked uh, who would not love Jesus, who would hate Jesus, the devil. Thank you, Phil. I really did love Phil. <laughs> um, true, but not just him. If only it were that simple. If only it were that simple, if it was that clean, the devil. No, it gets more complicated than that. We learned that last week. That the disciples, John says Judas, Matthew and Mark seem to say all of the disciples, just says they, really question what Jesus is doing. Allowing this woman to anoint him when that should have been given to the poor. Yeah, you don't have to be the devil to wonder to be confused, to make wrong choices, to have your heart grow cold, to slowly disengage from God and from his community. It's not just the devil. By the way, that's what John is really into. He's, he's gonna spend a lot of time talking very specifically from the teachings of Jesus about remaining in him and remaining faithful to him and what it actually means. And before that happens, chapter 12, six days before the Passover, that's how last week's message began, which is just another way of saying we are in the last week of Jesus' life. People are yelling, the king, they're responding, and it's like, this is, this is clicking. They have no idea that the shadow of the cross looms long over them. And that, that people, Jesus talks about this, and Satan has asked to sift you, but I've prayed for you, Peter. The sifting that happens. When the word of God is proclaimed, when, when Jesus is presented, and by the way, people, if you pay attention to particularly John's gospel, people begin to make their choice the clearer and more obvious Jesus is, and the choice isn't always pro-Jesus. I used to believe that the more people saw Jesus clearly, the more that they would love him. I mean, that's true for some. That really has been mostly true for me. The more that I know him and the more that his demands come clear to me, the more I truly do love him. I'm not saying that I don't struggle with what those are going to be, but I actually have learned after years and years and years of following him um, the joy of the cost of discipleship, not just the pain of the cost. I've actually even realized that the Lord has saved me from a lot of pain and difficulties, and I really have learned to love him for that. 
Even for things that I never did, that I never understood that I never did, or why I never did them, but now I'm glad I didn't do them. And I don't know why I didn't do them. I could tell you specific weird stories, and I have no idea why I didn't. But thanks be to God. And so my testimony has mostly been that the more I know him, the more I love him. And I, I do find his yoke easy and his burden light. And I, I can't understand why I do that. To me, it's, um, I can't I try to figure out why. And I don't know. And so I just stop and I thank God. I refuse to uh, give my parents the credit, although I'm thankful for what they did. Nope, there are things outside of my understanding and control. Thanks be to God. But that's not always the case. Some people, when they see Jesus more clearly, and this is what I want you to hear this morning, that how did the Pharisees get to, how did the Sadducees get to, how did Judas get to, how did Peter and John get to, and the answer is not that they didn't see Jesus clearly. The answer is not that they didn't hear him. That's not the problem. There is something else that is actually happening. Therefore, the more some people see Jesus clearly, the less interested they are in him. That's how the Pharisees got there. That's how the Sadducees got there. That's how you get this incredibly rich and diverse text. It's as diverse as um, is where you're going to go to school in a couple of days. It's probably as diverse, maybe, as your dining room table at supper time. Competing ideas about who Jesus Christ is. And it's not just because, oh, you just don't know him. That, it's not that simple. Sorry, Phil. It's not that easy. The more Jesus makes it clear who I am, watch, I'm going to raise Lazarus. And they investigated him. You have at that moment the resurrection of Lazarus, the raising back, dead to life. John says, uh, talking about the blind man that's, being, uh, that, that's healed, never before has someone been born blind actually been. I'm always amazed that someone born blind seeing seems to trump dead living. How do you look Lazarus in the face and go, I refuse to acknowledge the one who did this? It makes no sense to me. But life, and, and the way that it comes to us day by day, can be a gift. And it can also just be a grind. I, I want, more than anything, for you to understand that maybe where you're at right now, there, your struggle or your journey of faith, that has led you to somehow, and I don't know how, I think only God does, really, to a less interested state. I don't know, was it like maybe three earthquakes ago when you're on fire, and now you're just coasting? I don't know, was it like your sophomore year in college where you got most things together, and now you're just coasting? And you're 55. <laughs> I mean, some people have learned how to coast in Jesus for a really, really long time. Maybe the problem with this idea of being less interested really comes from the fact that there are just other things that kind of come into life. I remember looking at my kids, and they were really, really young when they were committing their lives to Jesus Christ. 
And I just remember thinking that part of the reason why they are excited and part of the reason why they have such a strong interest is because they haven't really met girls. Or sports. Or academic achievement. Or friends. You know, like when you're eight, (laughs) chances are all your friends are pretty good guys. Pretty amazing young ladies. But then when they turn nine, all hell breaks loose. Right? And maybe that's what it's like your first year following Jesus. But by year three, it gets kind of complicated. She asked me, is Jesus going to hold me responsible for a decision I made to my husband 15 years ago? answer is yes. Yeah, but it's really hard right now. Yeah, but this is what the Bible teaches. This is what, this is what Jesus both promises and, and expects, and the Spirit will give you the, I don't know if I can do this. Do you see the complexity? It's not just this one way, less interested. Not, it's all these competing interests. All these competing demands. And sometimes I wonder if my faithfulness to Jesus is more circumstantial than genuinely spirit-led and fulfilled. And maybe the reason why you've been able to coast so long is because you're literally living in, um, and, and maybe it's God's grace, like a sweet spot. But you can still feel the interest going. By the way, I'm not, I'm not, when I talk about this interest, I don't mean, yeah, when we sing, sometimes I'm not as excited as I was when I was, I, I mean so much more than that. But sometimes when people see Jesus more clearly, they, they lose interest. And then there are some times that when people see Jesus more clearly, the more they hate him and his plans. Like hate him. They, they see who he is and what he's about, at least what the Bible says, at least what the church says. They see his teaching as restrictive and binding and frustrating I, I love reading different autobiographies, and if I can't, if I don't feel like buying the whole book, I'll just sometimes go to a bookstore. Do you remember these things? There used to be stores where books lived, and you could go and you could take a look at them. They don't exist anymore. Now it's just called Amazon. But there used to be these things called bookstores. I would go and I would find these autobiographies, and, and usually people of some pretty weird beliefs and ideas, because I was always fascinated. How did you get here? And there's been some really smart and intelligent and influential people who ended up vehemently opposed to who Jesus is because they just, it so irked them that somebody was going to tell them how to live their life. Somebody was going to tell them what they could do or not do. And at young ages, doubled down with hatred for anything Jesus. And that actually tells me that it's not that they don't know who he is. They know who he is. They get it. 
It seems to me that like in this increasing time of frustration, when the world becomes more and more polarized, maybe that's a good thing. Like, like maybe it's producing clarity. Like, like maybe what is actually happening and when people are feeling more free and more permitted to say who they are and what they want to do. And it really frustrates many people. I know a lot of Christians right now who are really, really scared about where things are going. Let me tell you, the Bible says pretty clearly things don't change that much. There's really nothing new under the sun. And I know what you're thinking, for those of you that are much older, oh, if we could just go back to the 60s. If we could just go back when we had this don't ask, don't tell policy for life. And everybody just smiled and went along. Listen, I get it. I mean, I wasn't really around for the 60s. But I get it. I'm frustrated by things that are happening today. I also like the clarity. I'm not interested in Jesus' things. At all. Okay? Do you know who he is? Let me tell you what I know. And I've had people do this. They get him. And they don't get him. Because they don't want him. We don't give up. We also don't get angry. We realize that there are many, 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 many people who oppose, who want to undo Jesus because they heard him and saw him clear as a bell. So why hate Jesus? Well, our text gives us a couple of answers. First of all, in verses 10 and 11, why kill Jesus? Well, the chief priests say, this is what it says in the beginning of verse 10 of our text, the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. So they hate Jesus when they realize that Jesus' agenda is not their agenda. That Jesus' plans and purposes actually go against what they're doing. So just be aware that if you choose to pick a cause, if you choose to pick an interest, if you choose to have something that is against the ways and the purposes of God, you're going to either lose interest or you're going to decide to double down and fight against. And that's what they decided to do. But listen, they did all of this because they actually thought Jesus was a real danger. It's not just the devil. No, it's really, really righteous people who are trying to do the good thing. Really, really moral people who believe this is the best way to do it. His name doesn't matter. He preached back in the 80s. He was um, one of the teaching pastors at a really, really big church in Chicagoland area. And he was really into understanding people and spiritual growth and development. And I remember listening to him and just going, wow, this guy is so good. This guy is insightful. This guy is just, he really gets it. And the more that he began to pursue people and their development and their, uh, what is best for them and their fulfillment of themselves, the more he realized this really was a problem. Like a real problem. This doesn't allow people to become their true selves. This is a hindrance. And Jesus is a hindrance. And the same pastor 
who I'll call Jim, decided that he was going to vehemently oppose these things. Again, I don't think he ever had a I hate Jesus bumper sticker. He just saw everything that he used to teach, everything that he used to preach, everything that the church stands for, everything that the Bible, well, not everything, but you know, when people take it too seriously, and he began to oppose. And I remember thinking, he doesn't get it. Maybe he did and didn't want it. That's John chapter 12. This Jesus is taking everybody away from what we want to do. Honestly, that's, 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 the, that's what the gospel does. The gospel says, so which one are you going to choose? You can't have both. Do you want your life or do you want Jesus? Do you want your hopes or do you want Jesus's? And by the way, they don't have to be opposed. It's not like, well, I really love ice cream and therefore Jesus must hate ice cream. It's not like that. But truly, there is a choice that needs to be made. You cannot serve both God and your self-serving, self-directed, self-glorifying interests. And so these well-intended, I mean, I just, I need to make them evil so that I could never be like them. Look at verse 19, the Pharisees step in. The group, the group of individuals that are angry at Jesus and that hate him and want to kill him are all over the map. Like they wouldn't be friends if they didn't have a common denominator, which is hate Jesus. Don't be surprised if in the future, very different organizations and groups of organizations will align against the church. It's, again, it's, it's, it's how it's always happened. Hatred can make strange friends. Then the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Implied, and they're leaving us. And by the way, they, they, they weren't just, and they're leaving us, and we want to be popular. No, they're leaving us, and we are right. We're right. We have the right understanding of Scripture. We have the right faithfulness to God. And they're going after him. They're, they're not just saying we're not popular and we want to be popular. They think something really matters. Which, by the way, is what Pastor Jim was saying. Pastor Jim wasn't just going, well, the church has got a bigger group than me. No, he was saying that what they're doing and they're going after him is actually bad and destructive. And he began to rise up. And Boy, the hatred had a smile. And, and, the, and the language was even somewhat sweet, although strong. They're going after him. And that's not good for anybody. Why lose interest in Jesus? Because I think a lot of us really struggle to, to even put anybody we know or ourselves in a category of hate or kill. So in the end, most of us just are uh, slow fade. Or the, even the people that we know, slow fade. I was talking to a young man in college who was making decisions, and I, I knew he was kind of making decisions. He was pretty honest with me, but surprise, surprise, he didn't tell his parents everything. You know, one of those kinds of college students. And, and then some things began to become evident in his life, and their, his parents were like, wow, what happened? And he couldn't understand why his parents were freaking out, and I, I use this analogy now 
You know what it'd be like? It'd be like if when you were a little, little kid and you're swimming in a pool and your parents drop you off in the shallow end of the pool and you're kind of playing. And then for whatever reason, your parents aren't paying attention, something's not working, and then all of a sudden your parents see you in the deep end and you're weighing over your head and they freak out. You know what happened was they didn't realize what was going on. And then I, I said to this young man, and part of the problem was you, you kind of kept a lot of that from them. That's why they're freaking out. Is because of the slow fade. Maybe, 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 by the way, the parents had a responsibility. He had a responsibility. That's what's happening in John chapter 12. As you keep unfolding this, even those that are going, welcoming the king, they're not all going to stay on board. There's sifting that's going on. It's not like, if it would be so easy if they, today is the moment. Today is the moment. Where are you today? We'll ask that at the end of the message. Where are you today? But it's not where are you today. It's where are you today? And then tomorrow it's where are you today? And then the next day it'll be where are you today? And then 10 years from now, where are you today? That's what the Bible does. That's what endurance means. That's what faithful perseverance is all about. That's what John is describing in this text. I have to go somewhere else, Luke chapter 14. Um, I, I love to try to stay in a particular book particularly, and I know I could go somewhere, but to me, this, this text was just screaming at me, and so I thought, I'm just gonna use it. Why lose interest or hate Jesus? And by, I use the word hate in the same way this text is gonna use the word hate. It's not hate. It's um, to love something else more. It's that kind of hate. It's a hate that just uh, is, is more... Uh, socially acceptable kind of hate. And Jesus says, Luke 14, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I've never understood. (laughs) So is so-and-so a Christian? Yeah, they're a Christian. They just don't follow Jesus. I've never, I have no idea what that means. Literally, I have no idea what that means. I've never heard of such an animal. A non-following follower. An unbelieving believer. I have no idea what that means. I think what we're trying to say when we say that is, I don't want to talk about it. talking about ourselves or others. And so there are some times when people say, I'm not going to hate my father and my mother. I'm not going to hate my wife. I'm sorry. I'm not going to hate my job. I love it. I'm tired of paying the cost. And so that's what Jesus does in this text. And that's what's happening to this audience. But I think it's good that we end with, but why follow Jesus? I follow him. The majority of this text is, is praise. And I think for a very good reason, Jesus calls 12 to himself and he doesn't lose nine. Like, why follow him? Why stay in it? Why, why love him? Why persevere? John chapter 10. We preached that a few weeks ago. John chapter 10, Jesus says this. Truly, I tell you, 
Uh, another way of describing that is um, I'm, I'm here and I'm telling you like something that is really, really important. We usually don't use that word truly I say to you. It sounds really King Jamesy, doesn't it? But it's, I'm, I'm, I really am. I'm telling you the truth. Look at me. I'm telling you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep, Jesus says. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the way. I am the one. And anyone who enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Like, I I know that there are other attractions and there are other loves and there are other causes, but they're not me. Like, I want you to know that what you can have in me and what you can find in me is more than you can find anywhere else. More than you can experience anywhere else. That following Jesus is not a list of things you have to give up, but of great blessings that the Lord has given you by his design. Those who see him, and those who hear him, and stay with him, experience that. A thief comes in to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come, Jesus says, so that you may have life and have it in abundance. Why follow Jesus through thick and thin, even when it doesn't make sense? Because it's worth it. Because it's true. Work through your doubt. Work through your struggles. Work through your temptations. Work through your sin. And experience the long, determined, steadfast love and grace of God. So that you can, when the race is done, say, it was worth it. I know you don't fully understand what you're saying. I know you don't fully understand what you're doing. I know that you're new at this. That you're new at this. That this is something that you're just starting from somebody who now is in the twilight years of their life, can I just say to you, it's worth it. It's worth it. John 3.16. But not just John 3.16. A lot of us know John 3.16, but John continues on. Again, we don't know if this is the words of Jesus or if this is John explaining it. Some Bibles have it in red, others don't. It doesn't matter. It's the word of God either way. Listen to this. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. But to save the world through him. Someone says to you, like, God condemns, or God, no, that's not the truth. The Bible actually says, and here's what I believe, that we were broken, and it wasn't his fault, and we were lost, and it wasn't wasn't his fault, and so he came to rescue us. Why follow Jesus? Because he saved us. The son came into the world not to condemn the world but to save the world through him and anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. You are already lost. You are already in need of a savior because you did not believe in the name of the one and only son of God and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Like, I believe that to be true. 
for all of us. Why do people walk away from the faith? Not just from the church, but from Jesus, from his plans. And John 3 explains. And why do people stay? Because he's life. So here's what I want us to reflect on before we come around the table and then respond in praise and song. Is I want us to obviously recognize that there is this constant sifting that is happening to every single one of us. And it should bring a sobering awareness or I hope for many of you it brings deep joy to be able to look back at God's faithfulness to you and believe that like God's faithfulness to you is reflected in your faithfulness to him. 1 Thessalonians 5, actually, in this prayer that Paul gives, he talks about that these people from Thessalonica would remain faithful, and he says, and God will see it through. It's not just up to you. And so I want to ask you this question, where are you? Where are you today? Slow fade, really angry and hurting inside, and maybe you haven't gone public with it yet. Maybe you're still in the process of trying to understand what it means to deconstruct or to rebuild your faith. The original question has to be, where are you? And then to realize that Jesus is still Jesus. He loves you and he cares for you. So there can be a moment of praise or or a moment of, of reflection or a moment of repentance. For those of you, though, that are saying, no, I'm in a good place. God has been faithful to me, and uh, I, I really am. I'm growing in my love for him. I've had some hiccups, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm loving him right now. And I'm just going to ask you to, to care about those who are around you. To, to not just look the other way, or to not just try to pretend that, oh, that's just a phase but to genuinely love our brothers and sisters in Christ or your literal brothers and sisters or your children or your parents or your grandparents or your grandchildren and to love them enough to ask the question, how are you? Where are you at? And by the way, you're not there to fix them. But I do believe we are all there to say, well, here's what I've seen and heard. I just want to share with you why I believe he's worth it. Let's reflect on those things.